Today we are concluding our series entitled Resolutions. Again, resolutions are commitments to change how we live, and it's common to make them at the beginning of the year, uh, because as another year approaches, actually we're already a month in <laughs> to 2019, it's kind of crazy, but as another year approaches, we tend to take a life inventory, and uh, we've been reminding ourselves throughout this series that God is interested in every part of your life. Resolutions are an attempt to make our lives better, and God is interested in making our lives better too. Um, and in all of that, it's important to remember as we look for ways to join God in doing life and doing our lives better, um, remember that God is a God of grace. Uh, it's never too late to start to improve an area of life, and it's okay if you fail, uh, and you don't have to fix everything, just improve one piece at a time. The verse that we've been keeping in front of us throughout this series is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Every aspect of our lives matters to God. And the last two weeks, um, we've talked about getting parts of our lives in order. Uh, we talked about things in our lives that maybe need to be eliminated. And both of those categories are fairly general because there are lots of possible areas of our lives that either need to be ordered better or maybe have things eliminated. This morning, uh, we're going to look at something about improving our lives that is much more specific. It's making time for the people in our lives, specifically making time to eat together. Uh, the passage this morning is from Genesis 18. If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Genesis 18 now. It's a passage about Abraham. Uh, Abraham, it, who is the patriarch of the Israelites. And I want to give some quick background to something that happens a couple chapters earlier with Abraham, Genesis uh, 15 and 16. Um, in those chapters, again, Abraham has been faithfully following God his whole life, and he's older now, and he doesn't have a son. And so he has no heir, he has no one to continue uh, his lineage. And his wife, Sarah, is barren and cannot have children. And so God promises Abraham that he will have a son. But a detail that he leaves out is he doesn't say who the mom is going to be. And so Sarah offers her maidservant, Hagar, to Abraham to bear a child on her behalf. And while that's a very strange pra sounding practice to us, it really was not that uncommon of a practice in that time and culture. We see that in other places in Genesis as well. And so through Hagar, Abraham has a son. His name is Ishmael. And then about 13 years go by, and this event in Genesis chapter 18 happens. We've asked Patty Southfield to read scripture for us this morning. So Patty, uh, go ahead and make your way on up to the podium. As she does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us where scripture is to be in our lives. It is to be central to us, both as individuals and as a community of faith. And so Patty, whenever you are ready, uh, please read from Genesis chapter 18. 
A reading from the book of Genesis. The Three Visitors. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me go, let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get the three sayas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about a year, about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Through this passage, I want us to see this morning the power of a meal. Uh, at TFRC, one thing that we do is we eat together a lot. Uh, it's something we're kind of proud of here. Every um, Monday and Wednesday night, uh, we have a dinner. Uh, Monday is part of Recovery for Life where there's about 60, or eight, 60 to 80 people that eat together. On Wednesday, it's a part of Wednesday Night Recharge where we have closer to 200 people that come together to eat together. Um, Young at Heart has monthly potlucks where they gather about 80 to 100 people together each month to eat together. Um, every year our church has uh, two fairly significant gatherings where we eat together. In September we have a church picnic where there's about six to seven hundred of us that will eat together. Uh, in May the youth group puts on the carne asada feed where about four to five hundred of us come together to eat. Um, there are many four by fours and heart to hearts that meet over lunch and dinner uh, mind uh, meets over lunch. Every elders and deacons meeting, we feed them pizza, okay? We do not want the elders and deacons making decisions on an empty stomach. So every elders meeting, there's pizza. Every deacons meeting, there's pizza. Uh, the staff has had a tradition for as long as I've been here, uh, over 15 years now, uh, where we get together every Tuesday and we will go out and eat lunch together. Uh, so again, eating together is important to us here at TFRC. And we joke about all this eating together we do, you know. We'll say, well, you know, eating together, it is biblical. Um, and while we may joke about it, 
eating together does play a major role in the Bible. Um, even if we just look in the Old Testament, uh, God est establishes early on three major festivals that the people were to celebrate every year. So three times a year, the people were to gather to celebrate these three major festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Sukkot. Passover was celebrated in the spring. Pentecost was celebrated seven weeks after Passover. So that would make it late spring, early summer. And then Sukkot would be celebrated in the fall. And these are not one-day celebrations. Uh, Passover and Sukkot, they lasted an entire week. Now, these three festivals are called feasts. Because of all the eating that they were supposed to do at these festivals, they would call them feasts. Passover was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, Pentecost was called the Feast of Weeks. Sukkot was called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. God wanted people to remember what he had done for them. And it's really interesting that the vehicle God used for people to remember what God had done for them was to gather them together and have them eat together. Banquets, feasts, and eating together are a major part of Jesus's ministry too. If you look at the ministry of Jesus and all the meals involved with that ministry, um, the very first miracle that Jesus ever did when he turned water into wine that happened at a wedding banquet. Um, his most famous miracle was the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle, other than the resurrection, it's the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Um, Jesus would routinely eat with sinners and tax collectors. In fact, it was one of the major criticisms that the Pharisees would lodge against him. But even though the Pharisees complained that he ate with uh, sinners and tax collectors, Jesus had multiple meals in the homes of Pharisees as well. And Jesus would tell parables about banquets and feasts. And even after Jesus' death, and resurrection. He continues to eat with others. There are post-resurrection meals that Jesus partakes in. There's something powerful about eating together. Just think about your own experience. Think about the people you have eaten with. When you eat with someone, it changes the relationship dynamics that you have with them. This past fall, uh, my wife Shannon and I, we went to our very first, I know we've lived here for over 15 years, we went to our very first Boise State game this past fall. I, can't, I love football, I can't believe it's been that long, it took me that long to go to a game, but we did. Went to our first game this past fall, there was a group of like 12 to 16 people um, that we went to the game with, and they had a tailgating spot that this group, when they would go to a game, they would tailgate at. And so Shannon and I joined them about an hour and a half, two hours before the game, to tailgate with them. And I've known all of these people for a pretty long time, some of them better than others, but it was really interesting that after eating with them, something changed. That when my wife and I would see these people after that experience, there was this connection that we had with them that we didn't have 
before. Now, um, Boise State lost that game to San Diego State, so we're probably never going to be invited back again. Uh, but we still have this connection from eating together with those people. And as a society, uh, we have less time to eat together. We just, we move at a faster pace. and We just don't have time for this kind of stuff. But I don't think it's a coincidence that as we eat together less, we have relational dysfunction more. Those two things have to be related. There is something powerful about eating together. And so I just want to um, take a look at Genesis 18 and use that to give a biblical recipe for a powerful meal. And the first ingredient to a powerful meal in this story is the company. Now, when it comes to eating, we first ask, what's the magic question uh, many of you have either already talked about or are going to talk about after this service is done? The question is, where are we going to eat? Or what do you want to eat? Okay, so we ask, what do you want to eat? And the reply is always, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? And that is replied with, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I asked you first. Well, I asked you second. Okay, and it goes on and on. About an hour and a half later, we finally decide what we're going to eat. But a more important question than what we eat is who we eat with. Looking at the passage, going to verse 2, it says, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well, they answered, do as you say. Now, hospitality was a very high value in this culture, and hospitality mattered to Abraham. But these were not just any three guys. This was some kind of manifestation of the Lord's presence. Some people interpret the three men as representing the Trinity. More likely is that this is the Lord and two angels, but regardless, either way, these are three men you want to spend some time with. And so Abraham doesn't just give, you know, a token invitation. He insists that they stay for a meal. Who is someone worth spending time with for you? Rather than just saying, what do you want to eat? Let's start asking, with whom do we want? to eat. The second ingredient to a powerful meal, of course, is the meal itself. Going back to the passage, Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and set these before them. 
Now this meal that has just been described, it took time to prepare. And Abraham spared no expense. It says uh, the bread, uh, three uh, seahs of flour. Well, that's about five gallons of flour to bake bread for these three guys. And then he goes and he gets the choice, tender, calf. And that takes time to prepare. You know, I've never butchered a calf, but I don't think butchering the calf is quite the same thing as going to the fridge and getting a couple steaks out. The process is a little bit more involved than that. It takes time. And then there are curds and milk, which were probably also freshly prepared. And so eating together, it's going to take some time. And if you are going to make it a point to eat together more often, well, the meal should at least be enjoyable then. Now, that doesn't mean that watching what you eat has to go out the window. You can still be health conscious. That's good. I'm also not advocating gluttony here. Um, Nor am I saying that you have to spend a lot of money and only eat the finest foods. All I'm saying is it's hard to connect with people you're eating with if you can't stand what you're eating. Okay, so Abraham and Sarah and Abraham's servant, they took the time to cook something that they thought the visitors would like. And so when we eat together, let's make that an enjoyable experience. And then the third ingredient to a powerful meal is making a connection. You see, when we eat with people, there is there's this interesting relational dynamic that starts to happen. That somehow, some way, simply by eating with people, and the more often we eat with the same people, those people begin to matter to us more. It's really interesting. Uh, verses 9 to 14, it says this in the story. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he, Abraham, said. And then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, now I will have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Remember, 13 years before this event, Abraham has promised a son, And Sarah gives her maidservant to Abraham so that he could have a son. But this story sort of comes back around 13 years later and asks the question, well, what about Sarah? She was barren her whole life and couldn't have children. And in this culture, having kids was everything. And so the fact that she couldn't have kids was even more devastating than that experience is today, as devastating as it is today, but it was more devastating then because there were much larger social implications for Sarah than for those of us today. 
And now she is past the age of having kids. And the visitors ask, where is your wife, Sarah? You see, they are concerned about her. This was a patriarchal culture when it was all about the men. And in this patriarchal culture, when it's all about the men, Abraham already has his son. God is concerned about Sarah. See, his promise was never intended to just be for Abraham. It was also for Sarah. And so at this meal, something powerful happens. Sarah is included on the promise. And look, think about it. You, you know, in one sense, this is almost, it, it seems a little silly that we're coming to church and the challenge is, hey, you should eat more together. But I just, again, think about this. When we eat together, and the more we eat together, a connection is made. And we start to care for one another more and each other more. And as our pace of life is pulling us further and further apart, we need something simple to draw us back together. And there really is not much that is as simple as simply eating with one another. It really matters. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Every aspect of your life matters to God. And there's something powerful about eating a meal together. You know, something that we've done here uh, over the years from time to time at TFRC is we've organized these things called dinner eights. Many of you have been a part of them at some point in the past. Um, and what we do with dinner eights is basically we pair four couples together, and then those four couples get together and have one meal a month. So over four months, they have four meals. And you don't have to be a couple to participate. Um, we'll match up single people with couples or others. It's all good. Um, but we want to just spend some time doing dinner eights again. And it's a great way, if you're new, it's a great way to get connected if you're relatively new here. Or... If you just want to start practicing eating together with others more, it's a great tool for that as well. So at the information booth, we've got a sign-up sheet for that, and we'll have it out there for a week or two, and we'll just see who's interested, and we'll start pairing people up for dinner eights to start doing more meals together. But in looking at Jesus' ministry, there was probably the most important meal of Jesus' ministry I didn't even mention— and that, of course, is the Last Supper. And the Last Supper was a Passover meal. It was the meal that Jesus would eat with his disciples the night before he was crucified and just hours before he was arrested. And it would be a meal that would literally never be forgotten. It was critical to Jesus to eat one last Passover meal before he died and to eat that with his disciples. It says in Luke 22, verse 15, and Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired 
to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And the good news for us is that Jesus still wants to have that connection with his followers. He wants to have that connection with us. And at the Last Supper, at that Last Supper, Jesus instituted a sacrament for us, the sacrament of communion. And for 2,000 years, this meal has given followers of Jesus a powerful connection to him. Again, any time Jesus would eat with someone, it had a powerful impact on them. And when we partake in communion together, we can have that experience too. Jesus said that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there in their midst. And this sacrament is a tangible representation and reminder of that truth. That Jesus is here with us now. And when we eat with him in the sacrament of communion, it's a powerful experience. And it also connects us to each other. Because the more that you eat with someone, the more we begin to care about those that we eat with. And in this sacrament of communion, it's a meal where we commune and connect with Jesus. And just like those tax collectors and sinners uh, that Jesus ate with, Jesus invites us to share a meal with him. And so we're going to celebrate the sacrament of communion where we believe that Jesus feeds us, not primarily with food for our physical health, but food for our souls. It's a powerful experience. We cannot interact with Jesus without being impacted. The Lord Jesus, the same night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner also, he took the cup, and after they had eaten, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.